Happy Brews Day Tuesday, everybody. My name is Caroline King, and you're listening to Bitch Beer. everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Gosh, the weather has just been so much nicer here in Atlanta. All I want to do is sit on a patio and drink beer. Well, for any of you who agree with me, I have some pretty great news about beer in Georgia. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Senator Parent, and she is going to talk to us about how Senate Bill 219 was just passed. Amazing. Thank you all so much for writing to your senators and calling them and telling them about Senate Bill 219 and how they should support it. It's been passed, so she's going to go through exactly what that means for beer drinkers in Georgia. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, everyone. I have Senator Parent here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I was telling you before we started recording, you're my most elite guest that I've ever had on. I feel like such an adult. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if anyone's ever called me elite before, but I'll take it. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about you. What district are you a senator in and how did you get started? Tell us everything we need to know about you. Absolutely. So I got started in politics in 2009 when I went to be an aide for a a Georgia senator. Actually, the senator who's the seat that I now have. Wow, Um, that's awesome. He's the partner at the law firm I was working at. I'm a lawyer. And I decided I wanted to like sort of transition my legal career more in the in the public policy direction. So that's why I talked to him and approached him and he, and he was like, come work at the Capitol. And I had an awesome experience. I learned so much. It was so interesting, so fascinating. You know, the all the different issues that that we confront, I think are really important. And I, and I, I think they matter. And I also find them to be very interesting. So I'm real passionate about, about working in public policy. Anyway, long story short, I, while I was down there, kind of got the bug that, that I was kind of interested in running, found out that the incumbent representative in the district that I lived in, which at that time was up in North Cab, we were living in Brookhaven. I was like not impressed by her. So lo and behold, all of a sudden I'm running for office and I ended up beating that incumbent in that for the House of Representatives in 2010. So I did a term in the House of Representatives got promptly gerrymandered out of my district. Again, a long story. Oh, wow. uh, and now we're going into another redistricting year before the next election. So folks pay attention to redistricting. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, ended up moving uh, just a little bit south into Cap County. We live near Emory University now. And when Jason Carter, who's a good friend of mine, ran for governor, the, the seat came open. Jason had replaced the David Edelman, who was the, the senator that I had worked for. So... Um, I ran and won. So now I'm going into my, in my fourth term. Wow. In the state. And my district is, yeah. So, so it's, it's good. I, I feel like I really have my feet under me a lot more. The Senate is, is a different beast than the house because there are 180 house members and only 56 senators. That is amazing. So there's like a much larger role that every Senator plays in legislation. 
And that is more work, but also more, you know, more rewarding. I think being in the house is very rewarding too. Don't get me wrong. But the Senate, I like the higher level of camaraderie we can have um, because you are going to interact with every member and just more opportunity. There's just fewer people to do the work. So everyone needs to step up a little bit more. So my district is entirely within DeKalb County. I'm the only Senator that only has DeKalb. Every other district goes into some other County. So Probably not surprisingly hearing that, mine <laughs> is kind of central to cab. I've got Atlanta and DeKalb, almost all of Atlanta and DeKalb. I have cities of Decatur and Avondale States. I go all the way up through the Toco Hills and Oak Grove areas. And I have the southern parts of the cities of Brookhaven and Chambly. Oh, I also wow. go south of Decatur a little bit down to kind of the Belvedere Park area and Candler McAfee. And I have a thriving craft beer industry in the 42nd. I was um, about to say, you've got some really, really great beer <laughs> You've got like yeah, some of the most- tons. I mean, we've got Wild Heaven, you know, we have a bunch. So, so I always was really excited when I got into the Senate and it might've been my first year or first or second year when the legislation started coming across that was going to allow the breweries for the first time to sell, quote unquote, some of their own products. And that really was a big fight because in Georgia, we've long had this three-tier distribution system for alcohol. Yes. And so that's why it was so contentious because we've got the manufacturers, the wholesalers, and then the consumers, right? right? And there are like three different business businesses that kind of slot into each level of the three-tier system. And so when you go from manufacturer, which in this case is the craft brewers, Mm -hmm. direct to the consumer that totally bypasses that middle tier of the wholesale. And that's why it was so contentious. But there were, you know, the legislation passed, there were some restrictions put on it, like, oh, you know, you can only do this amount, and you have to be giving a tour, you know, blah, blah. But we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. And so that's made it a little bit more expansive and easier for the brewers to sell their own product. So now this legislation is a sort of another step forward in allowing the breweries to brew in a efficient, economical manner, have more than one location, and still be able to sell direct to consumers. So there are just still some antiquated things in the law where we're obstacles to that. Well, and then kind of going back to the three-tier system, for anybody who doesn't really know what that is, what exactly is the three-tier system and how does that play into what's happening here in Georgia? Yeah, so it's the system that we've just long had in our law where there are manufacturers of distilled spirits or beer, you know, wine, and then there are wholesalers who buy them from the manufacturers, and then they're the ones that distribute them to the grocery stores or the shops, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you've got a craft brewery selling its product directly to consumers, then you totally bypass that that wholesaler right segment. And so the wholesalers obviously don't like that because there have been there there are like reasons and history behind why we have the three tiers. Sure. And so for them sort of like feeling like, hey, we have this system in place that sort of have always guided our alcohol distribution in Georgia. And when you go direct to the consumer from the manufacturer, 
then that's no longer three tiers. That's right. two. So yeah, actually, in some ways, it's, it's, I mean, it's two, but you're also then by, by it's, I mean, obviously it's different when there's like a grocery store or something. When you're selling at, at the site, that's, that's, you know, you can, you can also argue that anytime you go to the Publix or the what have you, you right. know, that's, that is the consumer side, but you're, you still have another business involved at that point, like the, right. the actual store where you buy it. And so here you've got just manufacturer that also is then doubling as a store. And it's going straight to the consumer. So a, a lot fewer business interests getting a bite at the right. pie or the cookie along the way, which right. then makes those business interests be like, I don't really like that because I like having. Yeah. All the, well, cause it seems right. with the distributors, cause I feel like there's, and this is just from my perspective as a consumer, there's a role for the distributors. And then sometimes it's, sometimes I guess it seems like it could get inefficient with distributors. I, I don't yes. know. Cause I feel there's some breweries down the road and then there's a bottle shop down the road. And then if the brewery wants to sell to that bottle shop, the distributor has to take it, but then they take it to their warehouse in Norcross and to bring it back to that bottle shop that's just down the road instead of it seems like it would be much more efficient to just sell it to that bottle shop down the road. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And so a lot of these things are really integrated. So I do think that we're going to be seeing, I don't think this is the end of the legislative changes in that regard that's as great. things like vineyards. Um, we have a little <laughs> bit less of that in Georgia. Our terrain isn't as obviously fruitful pardon the pun, for vineyards as other some other parts of the United States. But, you know, we do have some vineyards and and also, of course, the craft breweries. That's why the craft brewery industry is kind of our special, hip, innovative, and kind of cons- sought after by consumer alcohol industry. That's And it's growing so fast. So for you all to be on the cutting edge of like making these laws to be more efficient for this growing industry and not yeah, preventing that's right. it. That's, it's really incredible. So with- Yeah, well, and I mean, not to interrupt you, but that just also shows that it is like a little bit of an economic development issue. Ooh, that's actually a really good point. It is an economic development issue because especially like we saw what happened with Creature Comforts. I love Creature Comforts and I don't want to speak ill of them at all because I love them. I don't blame them because it was the reason they went to California was because the laws were not clear enough. Is that correct? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it definitely, they still have a presence, you know, so we're, we still love them. They're of still Georgia and whatever, but, but yeah, I mean, look, if, if you're, if you have these strict limits on what they're allowed to do, which obviously California probably has a totally different system. They've always had the vineyards. Right. Right. So, I mean, forever. So, so we're much newer in this, this sort of like people think it's so cool and so fun to go to a place where the product is made, have like a fun outing. You get to see it, you get to try it on site you can buy it on site you know they've obviously they've had all that in california with the wine industry right you know gosh who knows probably since the state was founded practically right, right? <laughs> and we just we just haven't so our laws now do need to be adjusted to make that a reality and not impede it right while still looking at look like we we have the have the system that has grown up around the other types of alcohol sales and consumption which probably still work, right. at least for now, with the way Georgians had traditionally consumed alcohol. But that that's why this industry has had to come to the legislature so many times, because it's just kind of like a, 
a newfangled thing here in Georgia. I think that's incredible. And it was so Senate Bill 219 is the bill that was up for vote. And how did that go last week? It went great. I could look up really quick if we had any no's. Do you know if we had any no's in the Senate? I didn't see if there were any no's. I wouldn't expect that there would be any no's, but I, I mean, don't either. But let's just, I'm just gonna, this is fun. Let me look really quick because I can just pull it up so fast to see if we even had any no's. This is amazing. Um, we had Senator Frank Ginn as the sponsor. Oh, wow. Yes. And yeah, we had one no. We had one no. No idea why there was one no. Who on Um, earth in Georgia does not like Georgia crowd? I know. One no. (laughs) So it was Senator Bruce Thompson. I don't know what his objection is. He may, he's very opposed to gambling and stuff. So it Mm. may be some sort of religious thing for him thinking, I don't, I shouldn't speculate. I, I don't, I'm not totally sure. It could be knowing him that that's Kind of like, I don't know that he's a teetotaler or anything, but. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce Thompson is going to get a nice beer package from me and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to so tell Senator him why he should. This. And so there really, as you can see from the one no vote out of 56 senators, there was not a lot of opposition. But so what That's the, um, yes, yes. So what the, the legislation does is it will allow breweries that own more than one location to transfer finished product between their locations. Because before that you could only transfer great. it if it like wasn't done fermenting which essentially then meant that you had to have the entire spectrum of production and brewing and fermenting and all that stuff that you know more about than I do equipment at both but they are having it in the law where you are going to need to have some product brewed at the other location because the wholesalers were saying and I suppose it's true Mm -hmm. they were saying well if you have no production at the other location it's not really a brewery it's really just a bar you know like so, oh, so, okay, so it would have to be, do you know what, like, the size would have to be? So, say, like, they went to, like, a small, could they get away with having, like, a one-barrel system at the new location? Or would it have to be, like, full, do you know what size it would have to be at, like, So, if you, you are going to have to brew mm-hmm. an equal or greater amount of the, the product, the malt beverage, at that site in addition to what can be transferred. But it still takes off, like, so, so like if you're transferring 100 barrels, then you would have to also brew 100 barrels or more at the other location. Okay, so that makes sense. So like, so yes. like a place like Monday night, like their original location yes. and then the garage location, those two locations can transfer between the two, but you couldn't like a larger brewery like open up like a ta- a smaller tap room at right. that location. So that would have no, to be- No, because then it really hard. is basically a ball. Okay. That makes right. sense. That but makes I think sense. that's fine. Like, I think they agreed to it also because some of what is magical about going to them is the fact that you see, you get to see some of the equipment and stuff, right? That's yeah. sort of like what makes it cool and like gives it like the ambiance. So I can see why the breweries didn't think that was a huge problem. Right. Because otherwise it really is much just more of a bar. And like for a vineyard, you're out there and you're in this like pastoral landscape, but when you're in the tasting room, it's not like looking at the equipment necessarily, right? right. You know, so, but for the beer industry, it kind of is more that way, at least for the ones I've been to. Yeah. So, so anyway, they will though, it does remove this string or this sort of like burden where they couldn't 
transfer the product. I mean, this allows them to be a lot more efficient in like how they're doing it. Because if they sell out in one location or something, then they can just move some and keep the business going. Right. As opposed to having to basically start all over in that that particular location. I think that's really incredible. And then it kind of, so, and also there's no restrictions on like what they can brew at each location. So essentially like one location could be for like more sour and wild fermentations and the yes. other could be, that's really great to be able to separate that because contamination issues are such a huge issue for breweries. So that just kind of widens their spectrum of what they're able to do. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the lobbyists who was working on this legislation told me, you know, there's only, so there's like a hundred craft brewers in Georgia right now. So like you said, totally fast growing. There are 10 with two locations, but like around 10 others are looking at maybe doing a second location. And so this will help them be able to grow. So again, that gets into the economic development thing. That's incredible. It, yeah, and he used the example of Creature Comforts saying, you know, with their most popular beer, um, Tropicalia, that's their most popular product. Such a classic. They would, if without this law, they'd have to, um, for this Athens location, like buy an entirely new canning line just to sell their own product. So like, even though they will have to still brew on site, some of those, some of those segments of preparing the beer and distributing it like the canning piece now could be done at one location versus having to be done at both. So just like there's lots of efficiencies right. built in where the business can now decide like this is what we're going to do here. And also just the example of being able to transfer the finished product. Well, that removes a lot of snags. If say a machine is down in one location, right, then you couldn't transfer it and finish it for many. So it just is it was an obstacle to sort of like a smooth flow of operations. Right. Right. So, so it'll fix that. And there's another big part of the bill. Mm -hmm. So right now they can sell 3,000 barrels direct on draft and to get per location. Mm -hmm. And the craft industry was looking at when they were first starting discussions on this bill, they were looking at up in that to 10,000. Right. Barrels. The compromise that was settled on with our wholesalers was 6,000. So the bill ups the, the limit to 6,000 barrels. That's great. It does, though, have that it applies to all um, locations in the aggregate. Mm -hmm. So like no locate, no individual um, business, craft brewer business, uh, no matter how many locations can sell more than 6,000. And there are only a couple that were anywhere near selling. In fact, none, none of them, I don't think, are, are near selling more than 6,000 barrels right now. Oh, wow. Um, but is, yeah. so with that, is the individual purchase, like be able to go in and purchase more than like a certain amount of beer at a brewery? Did that change? Did that go up? Could I go to a brewery and purchase? That didn't change. Okay, gotcha. That has not changed. Okay. In this cool. legislation, the two big aspects of it are the ability to transfer a product for the brewer, the small brewers with multiple locations and the uh, annual production cap for the direct sale. So either on-premise draft and to go Wow. Um, from the 3,000 annual barrels to the 6,000 annual barrels. Those are the only things this, this particular bill has done. That's really oh, oh, actually, one more little thing. This mm -hmm. is sort of less dramatic, but it established a definition of production, which was not in the law before, which is the, the point of fermentation. Awesome. Uh, yes. And the other thing that is important to note, in case anyone has a question about it, the common ownership between the locations required is 100%. So it can't be like this location's owned by, you know, one company and another, and then the other one's owned by one company and a, and a different one, right? It's got to be 100% the same. You are so, so easy to interview. It's like, so it's truly a second location, essentially. 
That's really cool. So no, I you are so easy to interview because every time I'm about to have a question, you're like, oh, uh, here's something that I'm probably sure you're about to answer. Ask me. So <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> this is so great. Thank you so much for all of your hard work on this because this is a lot that happened with this and was really important to happen. Dream worlds. What would you like to happen next? Because you said it was ongoing. So what would be like your ideal situation for legislation with the craft beer industry? That is a a great question. I mean, first of all, the point you raised um, just a moment ago about the amount that a consumer can buy, I think, you know, we probably need to be continuing to take a look at that, Um, whether there are these artificial limits that sort of keep the industry from growing like Georgians would like it to, right? So that's something to take a look at. Um, in the future. Also, you know, the compromise on the 6,000 barrels, I, I totally do think that that's reasonable, but it could cause some problems down the road. Okay. Like with New Realm on the Beltline, they right now, I think, are kind of have gotten close to in that location, getting close to like 4,000 barrels or so. Wow. So that's fine. Um, I mean, it's great. But the, so the 6,000 is fine. But if they had like another location, I mean, granted, it probably wouldn't be as explosive for these um, direct and to-go sales as the, as the location on the Beltline for obvious reasons because the Beltline is just so, so heavily trafficked. But you can definitely envision a scenario where in a few years, a new realm would be bumping up against that total right. aggregate cap of 6,000. And like, then that makes that cap seem a little arbitrary. So yeah. And, and so what would happen? So say new realm did reach that 6,000 barrels and they were going to exceed it. What would happen if they did exceed it? Is there like a fine or is... I don't think there's a fine in the legislation, but they could go to the regulator and you know, make them stop for sure. Let me see if... So if they were approaching 6,000 barrels when they exceeded it, would they have to stop selling beer? Yeah, they have to stop selling. Wow. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. The maximum amount of malt beverages the brewer may sell pursuant Mm -hmm. to the code in each calendar year shall be 6,000 barrels. It says the commissioner, this is going to be commissioner of revenue, the commissioner shall promulgate and enforce such rules and regulations as he or she may deem reasonable and necessary to to effectuate the provisions of the code section. So it does say also if the brewer is violating it. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the, the commissioner can do rules and regs. So I don't know that they could do a fine. They might be able to. And then it says upon a violation by a brewer of any of these provisions or any of the rules or regulations, the commissioner shall have the power to place conditions or limitations on the brewer's license. Wow. So, so yeah, so there, there could, there's some teeth there and, and whatever the, um, the Department of Revenue comes up with and, as far as the rules and regs. And so, so it would essentially just be up to the commissioner whether or not he takes action on that or it's, it's just kind of like – Yeah, I mean, they obviously need to promulgate rules and regulations that are fair right. and – treat everyone equally the way the law is written. And um, if someone violates the law, that's not going to be acceptable. So, right. <laughs> so there really would be repercussions with that. There was a little bit of drama when we did the the law a few years ago, allowing the first to go sales. The Department of Revenue ended up issuing um, rules and regs that the craft brewers felt like really went against the spirit of what the legislature had tried to put into effect. Oh, wow. They felt like the wholesalers or whoever else had gotten a hold of 
Department of Revenue and the commissioner and sort of what came out was not in the spirit of the law. Right. So there was a big outcry and it actually ended up getting fixed. That's but great. at first, what they came out with was really restrictive in the rules and regs. Wow. So we'll see what they come up with with this. We, I, I kind of doubt this is less, less of a huge change than that was. So I see sort of doubt that it would be as controversial, whatever they they come out with, but but stay tuned on that because it could yeah. be there could be another hue and cry. No, it's it's true. Sort of it back. When I first got involved in beer, I had no idea the three-tier system. And then when I started learning more about the distributors and the role they play, which it seems like it's it's necessary to a degree, what, what is your opinion of distributors and their function in the system? You know, I I know that there are – I've okay, let me say, I've always been a champion of modernizing right. the laws and the system as it relates to the craft brewer. There are long-time, long-serving legislators mm-hmm. who had a role in either – putting in place the current three-tier system or just have operated under it for decades um, that they serve that sort of believe that it has put into place a good compromise and therefore, and a good system, and therefore were more leery of upending that. And I never was leery of that because to me, finding out about the plight of the craft brewers, you know, and, and obviously I have a number in my district and finding out about the obstacles, you know, that we had in the law, I was like, well, this makes no sense. Not everyone viewed it exactly that way because to them, the three-tier system has its purpose and its reason and their right. Ultimately, I think those people were fine with it for the craft beer industry, but they definitely have some level of attachments, probably the wrong word. I think they felt like there were some public policy underpinnings to the system. I myself don't even really know enough about the origins of all of it. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know like why we had that regulatory environment enough to really say that that I would feel comfortable eliminating it without more study and understanding. You know, is it a relic of like old, like prohibition era thinking? Was it necessary for some reason to ensure like efficient distribution so that the consumers were best served? Right. Right. So those are questions I would want to delve into more. That's a good point. And I don't have the background right now to give like a really good answer to your listeners. No, I completely, no, I really appreciate that your perspective is amazing. And something that I've always been told by the brewers that I know really well is beer is like, especially craft beer is like milk. So as far as like how many hands go into it, it's like the most efficient way to get it from the brewery to the shelf to make sure that it's taken care of the best way is I just think that that's the best way to go. And if distributors are ensuring the quality of the product, the entire process, it's great, but that doesn't always happen, unfortunately. So it's just trying to figure out like what's best for the brewery, but also consumer, because if someone picks up a six pack at their local bottle shop and it tastes funky, but it's because somebody in the mix like left it out when it was supposed to stay cold or anything like that. So I guess it's just trying to like rethink how we make it more efficient for our craft beer breweries and everything that you're doing is just so incredible and how informative you are and just transparent you are with everything going on. It's just, it makes me feel so great that we have someone like you like championing for our craft beer breweries. It's really exciting. (laughs) Yes. And maybe before I come on the next time, I'll investigate a little bit more of the whole history. (laughs) So I can explain to folks or, you know, another um, member of the General Assembly could do this too. Um, <laughs> kind of like, how do we get here to where there was this uh, a huge obstacle in the first place? You, you know, are- and, and what's the public policy behind that? And what's what was the public policy back, you know, decades ago? And how much sense does that make today? That's really, I, I think that's incredible. And I mean, uh, 
obviously officially you're hired as the political correspondent for Bitch Beer. Anytime <laughs> yes, you want to yes, come on, you're always welcome. <laughs> so happy um, to be. Yes. I know. It's so great. Um, so what was your first craft beer that got you enjoying craft beer and wanting to learn more? Oh my gosh. Um, definitely Sweetwater a million yes. years ago. So good. <laughs> right? I mean, but it, I mean, I'm sure that's like probably, you know, people my age, the number one answer, right? So, I mean, when I first moved to Atlanta, it was 2002. They already, you know, had a big presence and I was living kind of, well, first I was living in the Virginia Highlands. Then I was living in Midtown. Oh, cool. For a while. So they were also sort of like, up, established, ready to go. When I was first running for office, th- there were some folks in Young Democrats of Atlanta who, um, actually my campaign manager of my first campaign, had some kind of relationship, had gotten to know someone who was really tied in with the Sweetwater location over there, mm-hmm. you know, near the MARTA train track changing thing. So when I was kind of thinking about launching my campaign for house rep that year, the Atlanta Young Dems Future is Blue fundraiser mm-hmm. was at Sweetwater. Oh, that's so cool. So that was pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story. And sure, I remember Shirley Franklin was there. She had just ended her term or it, either it had just ended or it was about to end. It was about to end because that that fall was the election when Kasim Reed won. Yeah. So the Sweetwater's also tied in with the launch of my campaign. But I've been so excited to see this, you know, the growth of different breweries in our area. And I think that in my district and I think that like Decatur and Avondale are just like awesome places to have crap I agree. Those, those locations are so great. Wild Heaven was one of the first uh, breweries I had on my podcast and they're amazing. I, I, they were actually the first brewery I called and I was like, hi, I have a beer podcast and I'd like to interview you. And they're like, yeah, sure. Come on in. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't awesome. ex- expecting anyone to say yes. And they were great. I interviewed Sarah and it was just a great time. So yeah, I, Wild Heaven always has a special place in my heart for sure. <laughs> yes. And there, yeah, there've been, um, other before pre-pandemic, obviously political events there as well. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know you're super, oh my super gosh, so busy. Fun. It, th- so thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks and, for inviting yeah, me. You're welcome back. Absolutely anytime. Great. Well, yeah, maybe we can next time talk a little bit more about the three tier. I need to yes. get, get a little more up to speed on it. But thank you. Thank you all again so much for listening and thank you to Senator Parent for coming onto my podcast. I'm not going to lie. I was so nervous to interview a senator, but she was so down to earth and so easy to talk to and just really brought some clarity into this bill and what it means for Georgia beer drinkers. And hey, take a minute. Thank your local senator who supported this bill and is making it easier for craft beer breweries to thrive in Georgia. So yeah, send him an email. You can look them up online. But yeah, thank your local senator. <laughs> Unless, except that one person who opposed the bill then just send him a beer. Don't be mean to him. I'm sure he has his reasons, but (laughs) thank you all so much again. I love coming back to these episodes. It's always so great to hear from you. If you ever have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at caroline at bitchbeerpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I can't wait to see you guys again in two weeks. Cheers.